You stand as a citadel, a beacon, a monument to wars fought within and spilling onto sidewalks without, arena, site of conquests, cathedral, mountain, opus, the last present from the past to which we make our pilgrimage, unforgotten, non-judgmental patronage. It's a lot of pent-up poetry. I wrote it kind of early this morning and... I think it's it's probably the worst one that I've opened up. So with it makes me no, feel no, I like of, it. It feels kind of, as the kids say, cringe. But it's very so there's a lot of flourish. Yeah, sure. But I, I'm fine with it. I should be wearing one of those hats with the feathers in it. Yeah, like it's very writerly. Um, Welcome back to Solacine. Yeah. If you can't already tell, we're both a little sick. <laughs> me more so than Eric. Yeah, Alicia has COVID, and I have potentially also COVID. But Alicia is kind of like Spongebob from the episode where he gets the suds right now. Yeah. For those who aren't watching on YouTube, which you can do, she's wearing one of those, those little suds hats. A gray and, beanie. Um, yeah, the voice. What is with that? I don't know. It's pretty much my only symptom. This is probably, <laughs> people don't want to hear about it, but my voice being weird is pretty much the only thing wrong with me. And I'm cold. We're always cold. Anyway, this is the final story in our storytelling series. Final episode. Episode. And we're going to talk about... How circumstances impact reception of a story, and also how will people talk about each other in the solo scene? Yeah, so since we're both sick, the episode might be a little bit shorter than usual. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, we'll still try and make it a coherent, if perhaps a little bit sentimental, I feel like it might be, yeah. uh, conclusion to a series which I've really enjoyed the storytelling one. It's probably been my favorite one so far, to be honest. Oh, typical. Yeah. Just a note on that poem. I was going to start, like, I was going to write, like, this really kind of dark apocalyptic vision of like the future with no cinema is going to be like a cracked screen and it's going to be based on like you know the forecast and i don't even know if you call it a forecast right now of the industry or just like looking at what's happening where people don't go to the movies anymore mm-hmm. and also that movie that we both enjoy um the last picture show that's been on my mind quite mm-hmm. a lot but then i thought what if i try and spin this in something more so which is the cinema returns as this, this social haven I like that better. The dream palace. Yeah. So we're going to talk about circumstance. I basically, for this part of the episode, just listed some films, plays, etc. from my life that I think the circumstance in which I viewed them has been very um, impactful to how I consider them as art. Mm -hmm. I think it's the case for all art, but these ones, it was especially like overt and obvious. Um, yeah. And I kind of made this little formula, which was life state times experience times aftermath. Okay. And life state, I mean, like, what's going on in your life right now? It's mm-hmm. like, are you about to have a baby? Are you, you know, suffering from like some terminal illness? Mm-hmm. It's like, are you going through adolescence? Are you graduating? Stuff like that. It's like basic where you are in your life, in the game of life. And the other one experience, I just meant like, how you watched the thing, who you watched it with, where you watched it, what was the experience of viewing. Like, for instance, a really bad way of watching a movie, I think, would be, like, on your phone, where you can barely hear it, maybe when you're really hungry or something. And the other one, Aftermath, was kind of intangible. It was just, like, how much time life afforded you, I suppose, to actually absorb the thing. Because so often, it, like, it's, it's even happened to me where the first two were really in place. And it was like, wow, that movie really clicked um, before and during watching it. But then afterwards, something really drastic happens and you just quickly forget about it. And it doesn't become perhaps so influential in your life as it might have been. 
So how did you go about answering this question? I broke it into four categories, which kind of fit into your equation. First was the physical environment, and that's referring to, was it a cool theater? Were you reading the book while on holiday, or were you watching the movie on an airplane? And my second one was your intellectual or emotional maturity, which is kind of like what you were saying, where you're at in life. Are you 12 reading Hamlet, or are you 25 reading Hamlet? And I was thinking that's the one I probably had the most examples for, because there's been so many films that I've rewatched over the years, and the meaning of them have completely changed. My third was people. So was the book recommended to you? Were you with cool people when you were watching the movie? Were you reading the book in a book club? Was it in class? And I feel like that can really impact how you receive a story. And finally was miscellaneous, which is the intangibles. Like, are you about to graduate? Like your time in life, which is kind of a uniform experience. Like everyone graduating is kind of going through the same thing or everyone expecting a baby or what have you. They all have kind of similar experiences. So that was my fourth one. Okay, so I think we'll kind kind of be doing the same thing for this question then, which is just talking mostly about our experience, yeah. our anecdotes, which I know is why people love this podcast. <laughs> um, the first movie that I want to talk about was The French Dispatch, which we watched last year in cinemas. It was one of the first movies that we watched in Montreal, and I think it was the first movie that I ever um, rode my bike to see. Hmm. And so that was it's kind of a combination of my two favorite things. It was also in a in a cinema that's weirdly cool and interesting and obviously I really enjoyed the movie mm -hmm. so it's kind of like this it was a combination of a lot of the themes of the films and, and the aesthetic was like touching on things that we it felt like we were just moving into mm -hmm. um, especially riding a bike to and fro and that was just it was very very joyous um, joyous afternoon I would say mm -hmm. so yeah I think joy that's something I want to talk about joy yeah for sure. Happiness. I definitely think, because my example for this like physical environment and circumstances was a movie we just watched a few days ago, which was Avatar. Yeah. I intentionally avoided all knowledge of Avatar. For some reason, 10 years ago, I had the foresight to say, I want to watch this in a cinema. I don't want to watch it at home. Mm -hmm. Because when it came out, I was too young to like to go to the cinemas. Then I realized when I started getting into movies, I was like, I definitely want to watch Avatar someday. Yeah, And then we went to a theater while we were traveling called the, what's it called? The Rex. Yeah, the Grand Rex, big, big, big cinema in Paris. Yeah. And the cinema itself made me cry. It was near the end of our trip. And I also just was obviously much more mature than I would. And I would have been watching Avatar as a kid. And it really, I don't think I liked the film itself that much. <laughs> I might get some hate for that, but I didn't really love Avatar. Because it was so different from my expectation. I thought there were no humans in it. I thought it was all on this alien planet and all just all sci-fi. Yeah. So I didn't like the humans very much. Um, but the experiment, the experience is always going to up it in my estimation. Probably way above what it should be. No, I'm glad you mentioned that because it was partially the inspiration for this episode, I would say. Yeah, it's I true. I mean, why do you say the cinema made you cry? Because it was the most amazing room I've probably ever been in. And I was in a lot of nice rooms over the last two weeks. But this one, it had sparkling stars on the ceiling. It had a whole kind of 3D, 2D set yeah. around this, the stage. And then there was a screen on the stage. But then when the movie started, this huge screen rolls down in front of the yeah. already huge screen. And there was like probably 3,000 people in the room. It was insanity. Yeah. And my other thought for this like physical environment one where we can probably both talk about it in different experiences is when we both read Harry Potter. 
So I read Harry Potter living in my first apartment as a married person. And then you read Harry Potter during your angsty preteen years. Yeah, I would just say when I was a kid. When you were a kid. Like it was even before preteen. Yeah. So yeah, I have that like very typical, like grew up with the characters watching them in the films and like yeah. that kind of thing. You were trying to sneak reads on the bathroom or under your blankets probably. Yeah, exactly that. Yeah, but then me, I was like reading it in a completely different circumstance. So I think how we both received it. Like it's a very influential book in your life, but for me, it's not incredibly influential. I really respect it and love it as a piece of literature, but we both it impacted us completely differently because of the physical space we were in. Yeah, the time the time that you watched it, you mentioned that both for Harry Potter and for Avatar. It's really interesting because something else I wanted to mention for this um, question is when you kind of put off a story because you want the circumstances to be proper like you just said with avatar mm -hmm. for me it is lawrence of arabia is one movie mm -hmm. i don't want to watch streaming i would i would want to watch that in a cinema because just everything i've heard about it it's one of the ultimate like big screen movies mm -hmm. and there are some french books that i don't want to read the translation of in english i want to wait until i'm uh mm -hmm. adequate in french i can read them in the original language there's, there's things like that that you can kind of use them as like I wouldn't say goals, but different, like they kind of punctuate your life in interesting ways. Yeah, it was like when I got the book for Call Me By Your Name. It was during a time when you and I were like apart because we spent a lot of time in different places. And I was like, I can't read this right now. It's going to make me too sad. It's going to make me miss you. And then I said, OK, I'll read it once we we're together. But then once we moved in together, I was like, I think I'm going to read it once we go to Italy someday. And that's what I just did. What a flex. As a quite a flex, but I was like, I think this will be the best place to read it. And it was like, if I had never gotten to Italy, I'm sure I would have found a good time. Mm -hmm. But it was like kind of, it might be silly, it might be something that just us do, of like really saving texts or stories for certain times, but I encourage you to try it. If you feel like you're not gonna receive it super well, or it might have a negative impact on you, then just save it. Yeah. It's not going anywhere. Nice. Um, another one I want to mention, more of a negative twist on it with regards to the circumstance, was when we went to see a Hitchcock movie called The Lodger, which was a silent movie, I think from 1927. Um, I think it was on Halloween night, or it was around Halloween anyway. Yeah. So because it was in an old, it was in a church, and the big like draw was that there was a live organ playing because mm -hmm. it was a silent movie, so he was doing the score. And I was really excited to go see that because I yeah. was like, this sounds right up my alley. Hitchcock, mm -hmm. organs, church, Halloween. I was like, this sounds awesome. Yeah. But. The reason I say the circumstance was, was slightly negative is because I was mostly falling asleep through it because I think it was kind so of late. late. This is yeah. a problem that I have with movies quite often because so many really cool showings are late at night, but mm -hmm. I like to wake up really early. So typically I'm like yawning through them and trying yeah. not to. But sometimes I think what I was talking about being hungry or like tired is a very big one. Sometimes you'll miss out on a masterpiece because you're just trying to get through the page mm -hmm. and stay awake. It. And it's no, it's no slight on the text or the movie. Obviously, silent movies they are kind of, they kind of make you sleepy. Mm -hmm. No offense to any like silent movie buffs out there, but they're not my favorite thing. But yeah, tiredness, yeah. negative. Can you think of any examples where like the circumstance has been slightly negative, and you don't think you've given the the piece of art the the attention it deserves, or that it has landed with you in the way that it perhaps should have? Yeah. Um, I'll use that to go into my category of like intellectual or emotional intelligence. 
I consumed a lot of stories when I was at a point where I was intellectually and emotionally unintelligent. I was young and I just had no idea. So the first time, the first Hamlet I ever received was in a class. We were acting it out, but it was this, not a bridge, but it was an adapted version yeah. for a grade eight class play. And I was like, this is silly. It's just witches. And it's just like, I didn't understand it whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And then I revisited Hamlet, which is also in with my next category, People. In grade 11, there was a streaming at midnight from the Royal Theater in England. It was streaming to our cinema. And so a bunch of us met up there at midnight with our English teacher and watched Hamlet performed by Benedict Cumberbatch. And I was this weird, it was like modern, but it was set in when Hamlet was set. It was so cool. And then obviously, I think I've revisited Hamlet recently and actually read it, the the original yeah. text, and loved it even more then. So it's like, I find often when you're in a point where you just don't know the context, you don't really understand it, maybe you read a bad adaptation. Like, I read a bad adaptation of The Odyssey the first time, Mm. bad translation, and I was like, I don't get all the hype. And you were like, what are you talking about? It's the best thing ever. Then you open it up, and it was kind of put forward like a a novel kind of, like, it wasn't Yeah, yeah, it was very short, and it was all in prose, right? Yeah, so I didn't love The Odyssey the first time I read it. But that was because of the circumstances. I just yeah. got a bad 50 cent copy at a bookstore. <laughs> <laughs> you win some, you lose some at the yeah. bookstore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, next one I want to talk about, also slightly negative, I guess, is when we watched the Studio Ghibli movies, which now we can say we've watched them all, except for the one that came out last year, which was... Uh, You're putting we off that. for when we're in a, a really optimistic mindset, yeah, yeah, perhaps. Circumstance. Uh, Earwig and the... Witch. And the witch, yeah. The 3D yeah. one. Um, because the first Studio Ghibli's that I watched, um, Kiki's Delivery Service, Nausicaa, uh, Mononoke, I think, they were all in the cinema because there was a studio that was releasing them in Canada like over the summer or mm-hmm. something. And I had never seen them. I'd only seen like screenshots online and I'd be like, this seems amazing. So watching them in cinema with people who, for the most part, were fans, yeah. that was really, really wonderful. And then I, because, because we were kind of waiting for this drip feed as they were released in cinemas, I remember, because you got on it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, when it was announced that they were coming to Netflix Canada, we were like, yes, this is so amazing. And mm-hmm. we kind of binged probably eight of them in like two weeks or something. And as much as I obviously still love those movies and also enjoyed watching them, it wasn't the same and it wasn't as special. So I think that obviously this is like a really uh, simple illustration of the streaming versus cinema exposure to films. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Yeah, it turns you off of things sometimes. Studio Ghibli was obviously an exception. But for me, I used to watch not an absurd amount of TV, but I'd watch TV once a day for like an hour with my mom and my sisters. And I remember once things started coming out in chunks on Netflix and they started you'd know so much about the next season of The Flash before it even came out. I just stopped watching. I was like, I don't, this isn't like an exciting event for me every night. And then my mom was like, but it's our time. And I was like, I don't want to spend our time together doing something that's kind of, it just like the circumstances of how they were released really had an impact on how I wanted to consume them. And I was like, I just don't even want to consume them anymore, despite it being a positive environment. 
So we had to adapt and watch movies instead or find shows that were still being released slowly, which there definitely were some, like some more reality ones that like they can't really batch as much. Mm. And so we watched a lot of AGT, a lot of those kind of shows instead of the fictional ones that we had traditionally watched. That's kind of a funny example, but I feel like maybe some people sympathize with that. Like when things started coming out in batches, it was less exciting. And I imagine like we're kind of still finishing up Seinfeld, but I was like, imagine for nine years, it would come out once a month and then there'd be like four month hiatuses, once a week, sorry. Like it would just be a completely different experience and you'd be on edge. You'd kind of think about them a lot more, digest them a lot more. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of binging. What yeah. can I say? That's a good point uh, as well for circumstance. Next one I wanted to talk about was when I went to see the Rocky Horror Picture Show, the play, which our university was putting on, like mm-hmm. our university uh, theater society. And this is very strange and it's kind of like an uncharacteristic show for me to enjoy. But it was the first time that I had ever seen that and I didn't really know about the audience interaction and everything. So at the start, I was on edge and I was like, man, why are they heckling the, the actors? And I felt <laughs> kind of bad. But then I saw there was just this rapport that kind of broke out. And I thought that was really amazing. I still really like the idea that there is these cult shows where people travel. And it's, it's like a script on, uh, in which the audience is also privy to. So it's mm-hmm. like they're playing their parts. And it just seems singing along. It just seems really nice. And I knew some of the, some of the amateur actors or the student actors who were on the stage. That was, that was kind of nice. And I went by myself, which I think can be also different. It can be fun. Yeah. I was trying to remember what was the first movie I ever went to see by myself. Mm. Do you know what yours was? Mine was... What's that Marvel movie? Guardians of the Galaxy. Mm. I think that was the first one I went to see by myself. So my family was going to watch Secret Life of Walter Mitty or something like that. (laughs) And I was like, in my, when I was obsessed with Marvel, I was like, no, I can't not see this one you're exposing so many of the family dynamics today on the episode it's <laughs> fascinating well my family it's funny how their movie tastes have changed since i've gotten into films and my sister texted me yesterday and she said how's moving castle is the best movie ever and then they were like my other two sisters were like quoting it they were like oh there's this scene you have three sisters i have two sisters my, <laughs> my sisters were quoting it back and forth and saying no this was the saddest part this was the nicest part and none of us knew about studio ghibli until you introduced me to it, and then I obviously infected my family, yeah. and so their movie tastes have changed quite a bit. And yeah, one of my sisters is super into anime now, whereas growing up, we never really watched much TV besides perhaps a Disney Channel original here or there. Mm. Mm-hmm. But it's funny how like tastes in a family can change, and they can obviously shape a person. I had a friend who loved these super niche old German films that... I'm like, oh, it's your favorite movie. And then they tell me, and I'm like, I don't know what that is, but it's because his parents had a huge love of these films. Yeah. And I'm like, cool, good for you. (laughs) Same with me. I think going to the cinema alone is like, that was like my driver's license. Yeah. In terms of I'm an adult now. Mm -hmm. I can do whatever I want. I can go to the cinema at will. Yeah. I I make it sound so dangerous, but it kind of is dangerous (laughs) in a sense. And the last one I wanted to mention was Moomins, Moomins in the Winter Wonderland, <laughs> because that was a movie that we watched last Christmas day, last uh, Christmas Eve, sometime around Christmas. Yeah. And it was our first Christmas living together. It was our first Christmas away from our families. And it just felt like a, it felt new. 
I'd had never seen anything. Snackies. Had some snacks. Never seen anything really Moomin before, except yeah. some old cartoons on YouTube. <laughs> and yeah, it was like it's like how when families say, "Oh, we always watch Home Alone every Christmas," or "We always watch the Santa Claus." I don't know who would do that, but we always <laughs> watch whatever. Um, and it felt like that was a, a venture into something nouveau. Yeah, new tradition. Um, a little bit more about people. I was thinking about, I don't know how much this has happened to you, but sometimes the circumstances in which someone recommends a movie or a book to you has a huge impact. I don't get recommendations. I don't know people. Yeah. So I'll use my examples, two of which. One was there was a summer at work where I was working with this person who had studied film. And so I was just getting into movies and they would make recommendations and I watched them and I really liked them. One, because it was summer. Two, because they were easy to access. And three, I was just really open to it because I trusted their opinion. But there have been other times in my life where it's like, oh, you turned 13. That means you're going to start dating soon. Here's a, here's a book on dating, which has happened to me. You don't know about this. <laughs> but, and I would just never read them or I'd read them and I'd be like, this is just all silly because it's just like you're in an angsty phase and the person recommending it to you, you're like, when you're 13, you're just like, well, they don't. They don't know anything about dating because mm. they're an adult or whatever. Um, and I've had a lot of books recommended to me over the years in kind of a prescriptive way, not in a suggestion or a, oh, I've really thought about this and I think you'll like this. It's in more of like a, this book is going to cure your blight that you're going through. And no matter how useful the book is, no matter how well written it is, I find my personal reaction is to dislike the book no matter how good. And perhaps had it just been, I stumbled across it, it would have been received completely differently than if someone recommended it. Yeah, I think not exactly the same, but similar is how people get a distaste for so many classic, for so much classic wit when they are told to read it in school. Exactly right? the because same, yeah. There's no, there's no choice involved. I don't yeah, there's know. no choice, and there's no like, there's no serendipity, no serendip. We need a bit more serendip in our lives. Yes, we do. Yeah, or some good people who have good tastes. Or open-mindedness to receiving suggestions. A lot of things we need. Speaking of things we need. The organism of the week is the chestnut. Not just the chestnut, but the chestnut. Tree. <laughs> Genus. So, I'll show it to the people at home. It's a very, very cartoon tree. Wow, that looks very wide. It's a very wide, it has a huge overstory. Kind of short before it starts but it's a very big tree and they live to be hundreds of years old huge chestnut there as well well that's that's so not the size to scale, of the trunk. Oh, yeah. not to scale. Okay. that's just a chestnut I zoomed thought, in in case you're wondering thought it looks like something out of avatar or as you call a conquer oh that's a chestnut tree conquers yeah, conquers yes if so, anyone else is from the uk and you know the song <laughs> i'm collecting conquers that we used to sing in school mm -hmm. shout out yeah, shout out to you so the reason i picked this is because there's something new happening which is the Solocene Book Club. We are reading a book called The Overstory by Richard Powers. It is a New York Times bestseller and it's all fiction, but it tricks you into thinking that they're real stories about people's lives, all told with an anchor of a different tree in their life. So the first one, it's spoilers, but it's just the first out of probably 30 stories. The chestnut is the central point. So someone immigrates to America and they plant six chestnut trees and they slowly die off at different points and there's one left. And it goes through an entire lineage from this first person who came over to America to when that lineage died out with this final 
member of the family. And a bit more about the chestnut. I learned in this story about the chestnut blight in 1900 all the way through to 1990. And apparently chestnuts used to be just rampant. In North America, they were kind of everywhere. They were indigenous to here. They're also indigenous to a lot of temperate climates. So there's different types of chestnuts. Um, but it, this disease wasn't really discriminating against the type. And it pretty much wiped out all of them in North America. And any that are still alive were either super, super isolated or they were replanted after this blight. And there's still, the blight didn't affect Europe as much as it affected North America. And I don't know about Asia. I think it didn't affect Asia as much either. The book tells you all that? Yeah. Doesn't sound like a very fun book. It is a fun <laughs> book. <laughs> um, it's very riveting. It's very different than what I thought. Right. Um, I thought it was going to be a lot more fiction. It's called The Overstory, so I was picturing a kind of dystopian or utopian future. But this is a bit more, it's a series of short stories, and it gives you a lot of room to converse about climate change and about people change over the years. This first story talks about they immigrate to Canada, not to Canada, to the States in like 1800 or something, like way before a lot of modern technologies, and it goes all the way through to probably 2010 or something the internet and with smartphones and so it's about the evolution of humanity of nature i really like it if you want to join the book club just send us an email or a message on instagram our next meeting will probably be in like two weeks we just had one yesterday but it was just me and one other person shout out to them they know who they are <laughs> um, but so we can restart and i'll add you to a group and we can all chat about what we think we should have read for the next two weeks i really like it if you join me because I like talking to people about books, especially right. nature books. So how do they join that again? Send us an email. Okay. Our emails are in the description. Yes. Send us a message on Instagram or send a letter. By mail. By mail. Yeah. Use a pigeon or something like that. Yeah. Find us. <laughs> Please don't come find us, but let me know if you know me, I guess. Yeah. Anyway, this is rambling for the chestnut. Such a cool tree. And that's why we draw trees the way we do, because up until the blight, they were everywhere in North America. But then we don't see them anymore. There's so many places called Chestnut Drive or whatever. And it's like, what's a chestnut? We don't really have them in North America anymore. That's not how I draw trees. Well, you draw trees a bit off the wall. Sure. Um, also, just to go back to the Avatar. Mm -hmm. This is completely, but I didn't want to forget it. <laughs> the people singing before the film. It felt yeah. like I was in Whoville or something like that. Everyone was singing the 21st century. Or the, 20th what was century it? Fox theme. Yeah. Yeah, and they clap after the previews, after the movie, and then yeah. after Avatar, there was a preview for the next that Avatar. That was probably one of the most exciting moments in the cinema I've ever and been in. And I don't care about Avatar. No, but they showed the preview for the second one. Everyone's like, ah, yeah. Um, everyone had the three D glasses on, which yes. is so funny. Also, we watch. One of my favorite things to do in cinemas is to watch old movies, especially ones that aren't actually that old. Mm. That is kind of like we just grew up with, like Still fresh twenty something. So it's like we also saw La La Land in a theater and everyone's humming, singing, yeah. and it's just like such a good time in a way that is not exactly the case for a lot of new movies. Like It's not like it's not a good time, but it's just for a different reason. Yeah, well, it's about the familiarity. It's mm -hmm. nice when you're in a room. Like We know that probably 80% of the people in that room had seen La La Land before, so yeah. it was, that was a nice thing because it kind of selects for people who enjoy that movie and mm -hmm. know the songs to an extent. Okay, final question, which I think is going to be a rather small one. Is just how should we talk about each other in the solo scene? How will people talk about each other? And I was kind of 
I wanted to talk about this, but I, I wasn't exactly sure how to articulate its connection to storytelling. Yeah. There's kind of the obvious way, which is like gossip right mm -hmm. now, which is people telling stories about each other. Yeah. But it's just something about the way, I mean, when you think about life as a narrative and how much of your life is just talking about other people, mm -hmm. then you start to see talking about other people as part of the narrative. I guess that's the best way of putting it. Yeah, I thought the best way to articulate why we were talking about this was a piece of advice someone once told me a few years ago. They said, can you just tell me the story, just the facts, like as raw as you can get them. It's like, okay, they bumped into each other. And it's like, no, that's even, that's using abstractions. It's like, what happens? Like, well, their shoulders touched. Or that's a weird example, but it's no, like, yeah, that's, that's okay, good. she was 10 minutes late. And it's like, okay, but why was she 10 minutes like, Telling, when you talk about people, unless it's in a like kind of praising or positive way, if you're trying to unpack a situation or you're trying to get advice, which is a lot of like what our relationships are about, or trying to solve problems with other people, but trying to make them remove the narrative if it's going to be negative. Mm, yeah. Because it's like if you say, oh, well, she stumbled in 20 minutes late and she was like, not even her hair wasn't even brushed. And it was I, and it's, exactly like drop the silly points but like <laughs> focus on the ones that make that actually explain what happened i think these next few minutes are probably going to be the most kind of <laughs> elementary school uh <laughs> rules on the board on the whiteboard as so a scene is ever going to get yeah but it's just something I've, I've i feel have been very sensitive to lately and noticing a lot more in the way that i talk in the way that other people talk about other people is just how mean everybody is all the yeah. time and we think it's not mean because it's behind the other person's back and so we don't know mm -hmm. it. But again, that's the elementary school thing of like, if you wouldn't say it to their face, don't say it. And also if there's nothing nice to say, don't say it. Yeah. Which uh, I was recently reminded me of in Bambi, which was not a good way to watch a movie on a plane. Yeah. Um, but I was thinking about, my first thought of this question was when you talk behind someone's back or you just speak about someone kind of carelessly, because it might not be negative, you're like, oh, they suck. But it might be like, oh, they're like, this is their job. <laughs> like yeah, exactly. kind of saying things with like a, a wink. A wink. Um, it impacts you because speaking negatively just impacts your psyche. It impacts the person who's listening. And then it impacts the person who's not there because I feel like you're sending out to be all hocus pocus. Like I feel like you're sending out bad vibes. But practically, the person you're speaking to is then going to have this really split perception of the person. And that brings me to my first point of like how we should act in the solo scene and it's trusting your own experiences. So it's like, say the middleman that you're talking to knows the other person really well. And they're like, they've never done that to me. They're very kind. It's like taking any negative input about a person with a grain of salt. If it's spoken in the solo scene, perhaps it'll be spoken a bit less. And trusting your own perception of a situation and not just the narrative that someone speaks to you. Um, as to not then impact the third party. <laughs> this feels very like, yeah, childhood. No, but I think, <laughs> like, I don't know if it's whether the internet has just exposed it in adults or whether it's enhanced it. It's probably a bit of both. But it just seems like people are acting way more kind of, adults are acting so teenager in the way that we talk about each other. And it's not nice. And so often it's for comedy. And it's harmless because the other person doesn't, doesn't know about it. Or like it's a stranger. So you get off the bus and you're like, oh, did you see what that person was wearing? Mm -hmm. And it's a joke. And we do, I do that so often. And it's like, um, 
it can be funny in the moment, but also it, it's just mean. Like it's kind of mean. Yeah, just putting negative vibes out there for yeah for the joke. I think we need to get better. We kind of talked about this in the comedy episode. Just get better at comedy and get better at conversations that aren't comedy, always. Comedy doesn't have a victim. Yeah. Yeah. Um, get better at conversations. I mean, it always goes back to, oh, you heard they're having a baby. Oh, I heard that they broke up. And it's just because you run out of things to say. It's not like it actually really concerns you. If you were like their godparent or you were really involved with it, it makes a bit more sense. But we often just kind of jump to the common denominator of the person we know. That leaves out the person who doesn't know them. It leaves out the person who's not there in the room. Because it's like, I wouldn't even want to walk into a room and know that everyone had been talking about me in a positive way. Because it's just like... I don't, I don't, you can tell when you walk into a room and someone was talking about you, even if it was like, oh, we were just talking about you. Because you never know if it was yeah, actually yeah. negative. But in some scene, you will know because people will be nice. true. So I had, some, I had four rules, which are very simple. Um, and again, we've all had them before when we were young. Yeah. So the first is uh, don't speculate about other people. So don't like see someone and think, oh, I wonder why their pants are all ripped or whatever. Like, mm-hmm. Don't speculate. Um, the other one, don't use strangers as fun, like I said fun stories and then the two kind of positive ones do assume the best of people mm-hmm. and do give praise where it's due which means like compliment people more i think that's yeah. nice i don't think we we compliment enough like i remember one instance where we were in university and we saw a poster for someone's soundcloud mm-hmm. like they were putting up music and i was like fair play yeah good for them Good. I think don't think we do that enough. Like, because mm-hmm. so, so often you'd like go and listen on SoundCloud and be like, oh, not the best or whatever. Mm-hmm. But it's like people are trying. No play. one's out there like yeah. not trying. For the, like, I feel like nine times out of ten, everyone's trying to do something, even if it's like not up to your expectations. It's probably up to theirs, or at least striving for theirs. Um, my final one that I'll maybe add to that is to speak constructively. So it's like if you're recounting a story and trying to work through it, talk about what the person can do next time or what you can do better to perhaps facilitate the actions of that person to meet your own expectations because I tried to do that as much as possible speak about what I could have done even if it's kind of silly and it's like kind of toxic positivity of like well I could have just assumed that they were going to be late or I just could have assumed that my schedule my day wasn't going to work out and it's like to an extent that's positive and to an extent that's negative but I think in the soul scene everything will balance out a bit more Nicely said. Probably the preachiest we've ever been on solo scene. Yeah. Which is saying something, of course. Mm-hmm. But a nice way for the semester to end, I think, going out with a bang, or should I say out with a sneeze? Mm-hmm. Um, or out with a wheeze in your case. Yeah, thank you. So thanks to everybody for listening. We'll be back next week with just some some loose episodes while we gear up for the next semester, probably next month. Mm-hmm. And bye. Bye.